From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum, with you on this Friday, November twenty fourth, two thousand twenty three. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program,、uh, the four day truce agreed on by Israel and Hamas has begun in the Gaza Strip. China's released a development blueprint for the second decade of the Belt and Road Initiative. Voters in the Netherlands and across Europe are in shock after a far right party's victory in Dutch. Elections. In business, China's digital service trade reaches new heights. In sports, we have a preview of the Davis Cup semifinals. In culture and entertainment,、uh, weak box office numbers in North America amid the Thanksgiving holiday. Now checking the day's top stories. Palestinians in Gaza heaved a sigh of relief as they awoke to a four-day truce between Israeli forces and Hamas. It's the first、uh, pause in Israel's deadly siege on the Palestinian enclave since Hamas's surprise assault on October the seventh.、Uh, the respite will see many hostages and prisoners freed on both sides. Sam Mednick has more in Jerusalem. There were explosion sounds heard right up until this truce began, as well as overnight. And about 20 minutes into the truce, there was an alert by Israel's army saying that there were potential air strikes near some cities in Gaza. But it is too soon to know right now if it's holding. If it does hold, this would be the biggest breakthrough since the start of this war. And there are many families right now who are cautiously optimistic and hoping that it does go through. The first batch of hostages are expected to to be free. The names of these hostages, as well as the Palestinian Palestinians on the other side were released. The families of the hostages are aware of who is going to be released, and in general, there are going to be 50 hostages on Israel's side, exchanged for 150 Palestinian prisoners. The majority, all of them right now, are women and minors. 
there is the potential for the ceasefire to extend. There's four days right now of ceasefire, but there's a potential for it to continue with 10 additional hostages being released each day if there is no fighting. Hostage negotiators say that ideally they want to try and get all of the civilian hostages out and that maybe that could bring them to eight or nine days of a truce, but it still really depends on how these first few days go. There's also going to be no fighting in the south of Gaza. There's going to be no air planes over the south of Gaza and there's going to be six hours a day where there are no planes over the north of Gaza. Part of this deal also does include humanitarian assistance coming into Gaza, which would be a great reprieve, at least in small part, because the humanitarian situation is so dire. That was Sam Mednick reporting. Nurhar Zin has been closely monitoring the developments in Gaza after the ceasefire. Over the past days, uh, Hamas was intensively negotiating with Israel through Egypt, uh, Qatar, and the United States to finally reach this humanitarian truce. Of course, Hamas and its leaders, they want the people here in Gaza, the civilians, to at least take a break after seven weeks of very intense Israeli war on the uh, coastal enclave. This is the first day in seven weeks where we uh, wake up without the sounds of the Israeli drones and the Israeli warplanes. Some of the people actually who fled their homes are now taking the Salah Din Road, uh, walking on their feet to go back to their homes and check what happened and try to get some of the uh, of their belongings. However, we are getting some news from uh, Northern Gaza that the Israeli tanks are banning some Palestinians from uh, entering their areas and their uh, neighborhoods, especially uh, the neighborhoods where there is an Israeli tanks and where there is an Israeli land incursion. The uh, system and all hospitals around the Gaza has collapsed a weeks ago. And also tonight, uh, overnight and this early hours of the morning before uh, 7 a.m., actually the Israeli uh, forces pounded the Indonesian hospital with uh, dozens of airstrikes. But at the same time, um, people are, and medical staff are hopeful that this truce will somehow ease in the situation of the hospitals in Gaza. That was Noor Harzin with an update from Gaza. The United Nations Children's Agency says the besieged Gaza Strip is the most dangerous place in the world to be a child. UNICEF Executive Director Catherine Russell says a truce between Israel and Hamas is not enough to save their lives while calling for a long-lasting ceasefire. The official notes that more than 5,300 Palestinian children have been killed since October the 7th, and that's 40% of the total deaths reported by the Gaza Health Ministry. Coming up, planning the second decade of the Belt and Road Initiative. A pizzeria in a small village in rural China. You heard it. And it serves pizza with stinky mandarin fish, something even some Chinese cannot take. Why would its American owner, Adrian Brill, launch the business in the village? How has it become a Moscow restaurant attracting gluttons flying thousands of miles just for a bite? And after being appointed as a rural ambassador, What's his plan for promoting local development? Check out Adrian's unique experience of integrating his personal interests into China's rural revitalization in the last episode of our special series, My Expat Life in Rural China, on this week's Chat Lounge, anywhere you get your podcasts and on CGTN Radio. At six minutes past the hour.
Uh, China first proposed the Belt and Road Initiative back in 2013, and 10 years on, the infrastructure-focused framework has reaped both tangible and intangible benefits across the world. Now the country has released a new document outlining plans for international cooperation under the BRI in the coming decade. Wang Mengjie has more. In a decade since it was launched, China's Belt and Road Initiative has created new international economic corridors and infrastructure projects around the world. By June this year, China has signed over 200 BRI cooperation agreements with more than 150 countries and 30 international organizations across five continents. China's government says in the next phrase, the focus will be on even higher quality development. Calling for more BRI cooperation in key relationships so as to ensure innovation and place equal emphasis on development and security. China will enhance the connectivity network to ensure smoother and more efficient operations and ensure that a new system takes shape to support China's open economy at a more advanced stage. The road ahead is not smooth. There've been project delays and other challenges. Chinese officials say they're determined to learn from past experience and improve future Belt and Road projects by tightening the selection process and controlling risks. It's estimated that in the next 10 years, Belt and Road partner countries could increase trade volume by 2.5 trillion US dollars. The Chinese government's blueprint for future cooperation under the initiative states that China will continue to work on what it describes as small yet impactful flagship projects. In October, representatives from more than 130 countries gathered in Beijing to discuss the cooperation under the Belt and Road Initiative. One month later, Blueprint has created new momentum and consensus on the need for creativity and new opportunities over the next 10 years of the BRI. China says it will continue working to build a global community of a shared future. That was Wang Mengjie reporting. World Conference on China Studies Shanghai Forum is underway in the Chinese Financial Hub. More than 400 delegates at the forum are discussing China's path to civilization from a global perspective. Chen Tong has more. Chinese President Xi Jinping sent a congratulatory letter to the conference. And in his letter, he said, well, China studies are not only about historic China, but also about contemporary China. And he urged more Chinese scholars as well as international scholars to work together to further promote the development of China studies. But what are China studies? Well, actually, the early China studies can be traced back to the 13th century, when explorers such as Marco Polo uh, brought what they saw in China as well as the teachings of some Asian Chinese scholars back to Europe. And since then, more and more uh, scholars are becoming more interested in China. And now, the current China studies are not only about uh, Chinese literature and culture, but also about the society, military, economy, uh, about China. Well, it has been more than 10 years since the first World Conference on China Studies was held. And this year, more than 400 uh, domestic and international scholars from 60 countries and regions are gathering here, sharing their thoughts on Chinese civilization as well as modernization. And I had a chance to speak with the guest speaker, uh, Mr. Mazaki Majolo, a former premier of African country Lesotho. And he actually mentioned a lot of, about China's uh, modern achievements, such as artificial intelligence as well as new engine vehicles, and how these achievements be uh, shaping the development of African countries. And this actually echoes 
what Chinese President Xi Jinping said in his uh, congratulatory letter that the China studies are not only about historical China, but also about contemporary China. Well, not only well, the conference is not only a place to ex exchange ideas, but also witnessed the establishment of the World Association for China Studies, as well as uh, the awarding ceremony for uh, distinguished contribution to China studies and uh, the awards actually were given to three winners uh, from Canada, South Korea and uh, Singapore to uh, thank for their contribution to the China studies. That was Chen Tong in Shanghai. North Korea says it'll restore all military measures that it had halted under a deal with neighboring South Korea. Uh, South Korea partially suspended the five-year-old military accord on Wednesday and said it would step up border surveillance. The deal was originally designed to de-escalate hostilities along the shared border. Jack Barton has more from Seoul. Pyongyang's move to scrap the 2018 military agreement follows Seoul's partial suspension of the agreement, in turn a response to Pyongyang's launch of a military surveillance satellite. The agreement established buffer zones and no-fly areas near the inter-Korean border in a bid to prevent accidental clashes. The DPRK Defense Ministry warned that South Korea must pay dearly for its decision to partially suspend the agreement adding that it would withdraw all military measures taken to prevent military tension and conflict on the ground, sea and in the air, and deploy more powerful armed forces and new types of military hardware along the demilitarized zone separating the peninsula. The DPRK also fired a ballistic missile towards the EC following Seoul's announcement, though South Korea's military says the missile failed. South Korea says Pyongyang has already broken the 2018 agreement's rules 17 times and that the recent launch of the military surveillance satellite as well as the rapid build-up of Pyongyang's nuclear and missile programs places serious limits on Seoul's ability to monitor military movements near the DMZ. That was Jack Barton on the unfolding tension on the Korean Peninsula. Russian President Vladimir Putin uh, attended the Collective Security Treaty Organization meeting in Minsk. While speaking during a roundtable with CT, uh, CSTO leaders, the Russian president talked about improvements of the group's collective rapid deployment and operational response forces, as well as aviation and peacekeeping forces. I would especially note the joint efforts being made to improve the collective rapid deployment and operational response forces, aviation and peacekeeping forces of the CSTO. A number of measures have been taken to maintain combat readiness, improve the command and control system, and increase the training of military personnel. Uh, Putin also held the group's role in securing peace and stability in the region. Of course, I agree with the assessments of our colleagues. The president of Kazakhstan just said it. Our countries, including Russia, do not accept terrorism in any of its manifestations and in any regions of the world. We jointly implemented a set of measures to fight extremism, transnational crime, illegal migration and drug trafficking. The security grouping held the summit with the absence of one of its members, Armenia. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says Canada will join the EU's research and innovation funding program called Horizon Europe. 
Think of five of the concrete things that we're announcing together, big steps that we're taking in this really substantive and substantial summit. First one is Canada's joining Horizon Europe, which is the greatest uh, research and innovation uh, mechanism in the world right now. Now, Trudeau was speaking during a welcoming ceremony with provincial officials. They welcomed European Council President Charles Michel and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen to Newfoundland and Labrador for a two-day summit. The officials are discussing world security in the wake of conflicts in Ukraine and the Middle East, as well as artificial intelligence and clean development. A train carrying 16 cars is derailed in the U.S. state of Kentucky. Media reports say two of them were carrying molten sulfur. Residents outside the town of Livingston near the scene temporarily evacuated the area. Sean Calebs has more. The 16 cars jumped of the track. Two of them had molten sulfur. Those tanks were pierced and a fire broke out and then sulfur dioxide came from that fire in, involving uh, the molten sulfur. Now, the concern is that is, uh, according to health officials, once you get five parts per million, it can affect your breathing. It can restrict breathing. So obviously a concern. There were 200 families in the area, a very, very sparsely populated area. But you're exactly right about a big American holiday. On Thursday, they, people in the U.S. celebrate Thanksgiving, and that is a big family meal. People come from all over, a major travel day. Day, and we know that 91 of the families chose to be moved to a nearby hotel, and that's apparently where they're going to have to ride out their Thanksgiving Day uh, holiday. We do know the fire is under control. The other 14 tanks, two of them uh, contained uh, some kind of magnesium, but those tanks were not pierced. The other four were either empty or contained something harmless, such as uh, grain. But obviously uh, a concern when something like this happens, because much of the rail system in the United States is antiquated, and any time there is a train that uh, jumps the tracks, it certainly gets attention officials. They're always worried that the situation uh, could be very significant. In this case, very sparsely populated area. Officials were able to get there, control the fire. Those residents who want to return back to their home in Mount Vernon can. But as I mentioned, a lot of them say, you know what, we've already moved. We moved our holiday meal somewhere else. We're just going to try and uh, ride this out. So hopefully, hopefully, it's just going to be somewhat of a headache for everybody. But health officials have not released the parts per million of the uh, of the of the sulfur in the air there, so uh, obviously going to wait to make sure that that is completely safe before everybody does come back home. They were mandatory evacuation, but the way a mandatory evacuation works in the United States, they go door to door and say you must leave, but. The people don't have to leave. Basically, uh, emergency officials have done their part. They've told people to leave. If they choose to stay, it's on them. And that was Sean Caleb's reporting on yet another train accident in the United States. Coming up, voters are reacting to surprise election results in the Netherlands. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. At 17 minutes past the hour, Europe and Dutch voters are in shock after the country's party for freedom defied the odds uh, on top of Wednesday's parliamentary elections. The party and its leader, Heert Wilders, have previously called for a ban on mosques and the Koran. Uh, Wilders faces the task of forming a coalition government with parties that have shunned him. Alex Cadier has more from The Hague. We are the biggest party in the Netherlands. 
The Dutch far-right Freedom Party has sent shockwaves through Europe, coming out on top for the first time in a Dutch election. The anti-Islam Eurosceptic Heert Wilders and his party will command 37 of the 150 seats in the Dutch parliament. The incumbent party of outgoing Prime Minister Mark Rutte fell to third place. The Labour and Green Party coalition bucked the right-wing trend, picking up nearly 10 more seats than the last election, a gain that could be crucial in forming the next Dutch government. There's no question that this far-right surge is a big change in Dutch politics, but it doesn't mean that Mr. Wilders will be Prime Minister. At the moment, he still needs around 40 seats from other parties to have a majority and form a government. And as things stand, he just doesn't have the numbers. Three leaders from the centre-left, centrist and centre-right parties could work together to form a government that cuts Heert Wilders and his Freedom Party out altogether. A move Heert Wilders says does not give voters what they asked for. I think that people would not understand and not accept either that if the biggest winner of the elections would not have an uh, important role in that coalition. So um, um, we, have to be, we all have to be reasonable, we have to be responsible um, and we have to uh, compromise on many issues to make sure that uh, those votes um, um, are getting worth uh, their money. Wilders, however, will struggle to form a government. Franz Timmermans' party in second place has ruled out ever working with him or his party. So too has Peter Omzicht, the centrist Dutch MP whose three-month-old party surged to 20 seats. That leaves the outgoing party of government, the VVD, as a possible coalition partner. Their leader, Justice Minister Dylan Yashilgus, says Wilders as Prime Minister is not an option. But that leaves the possibility of a cabinet position for Heert Wilders. What's clear is that the Netherlands has moved towards its political right wing, a move which worries Franz Timmermans' Green Labour coalition. This election had been too close to call, but now that the results are in, coalition negotiations can start. The last negotiation to form a government here took 271 days. So while Mark Rutte is definitely out, it may be a while yet before we find out who will replace him. That was Alex Caddy reporting. Ecuador sworn a new president on Thursday. 35-year-old Daniel Naboa is the country's youngest ever leader. He's taken office amid a troubled economy and soaring crime rates. Dan Collins reports. Daniel Naboa, the heir to a banana fortune, is Ecuador's youngest president ever to lead the country. He was sworn in during a ceremony at the National Assembly. Si, juro. Naboa said he was ready to transform the country. Ecuador has gone through very difficult times. Economic challenges, security challenges and death, real and political. Few candidates were willing to take the risk of this election. For the good of Ecuador and because I have a renewed and young vision, I ran for president without hesitation. Few thought I had a chance. He will face considerable challenges in his one-and-a-half-year term. The young president has pledged to rebuild the small South American country's ailing economy, create jobs and stamp out rising violence created by organized crime gangs linked to drug trafficking. The Ecuadorian economy has faltered since the COVID-19 pandemic, which caused poverty and unemployment to rise and pushed thousands to migrate. Alfredo. Naboa was elected in a special election after former President Guillermo Lasso dissolved the National Assembly in order to avoid an impeachment vote. 
The heir to a business empire will have just 17 months to govern, completing Lasso's term that will run to May 2025. He won about 52% of the ballot in a runoff vote in October, beating leftist adversary Luisa Gonzalez. That was Dan Collins reporting. Political parties in New Zealand have signed an agreement to form the country's next three-party coalition government. The new cabinet is a combination of veteran politicians and new leaders. The deal will see Christopher Luxon serve as prime minister after his conservative National Party won 38 percent of the vote. The coalition deal ends nearly six weeks of intense negotiations over New Zealand's political agenda for the next three years. Leaders in the three parties have agreed to policies such as tax cuts, more police on the streets, and less red tape. The new cabinet is to be sworn in on Monday. Italian Prime Minister Giorgio Maloney has defended the bilateral agreement with Albania to build migrant centers in the Balkan country, dismissing rumors about the agreement. I have heard all kinds of fake news about this agreement including that we would like to build an Italian-style Guantanamo, deport migrants, that the agreement would violate international law. The agreement obviously respects international law. Well, in the five-year deal that's been heavily criticized by rights organizations, Albania has agreed to provide temporary shelter for up to 36,000 migrants a year, while Rome fast-tracks requests for asylum in Italy. Uh, so far this year, over 236,000 people have entered the EU by unofficial means, up 60%, and mostly landing in Italy by boat. Uh, despite efforts at reform, Europe's asylum system remains messy and ineffective amid hardening attitudes on migrants. Hundreds of workers at Scotland's last remaining oil refinery are fearing for their jobs after its owner said operations could cease by the spring of 2025. Uh, the Petro Ineos site has existed for over a century and provides about 80% of Scotland's fuel. It plans a shift from fuel manufacturing to importing finished products, with uncertainty if workers will be a part of that transition. The announcement drew criticism and shocked the local community. 500 jobs going. Disaster. That's a big shock. That's um, a blow to the town. I've got a lot of friends that are employed um, down there, so it just depends on yeah, what the actual outcome is of it. A Scottish First Minister Hamza Yosef stresses a just transition to a net zero economy. That has to be a just transition. And the key word in that is just, because we want to take every single worker along with us on this journey comes after UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak watered down some of Britain's uh, environmental commitments, saying the country must fight climate change without penalizing workers and consumers. A report by the marine conservation charity Surfers Against Sewage says up to 60% of inland swimming sites in England may be unsafe. Uh, the group tested 40 sites across 15 rivers and found 24 be deemed poor quality under official criteria. The report also says untreated sewage was discharged nearly 400,000 times into UK waterways over the past year. Uh, those who swim in affected areas risk illness. Uh, Susie Hudson's a big fan of open water swimming but is now more cautious about where she swims after she and her partner became seriously ill earlier this year. This was something which lasted five to six days and we were very ill, um, enough to talk to a doctor. 
Uh, the water industry plans to invest 11 billion pounds over seven years to improve water quality. The UK government says it's investing more than ever uh, before to tackle pollution levels. Mexican President Andre Manuel López Obrador has announced a reconstruction plan for communities in the southern state of Guerrero devastated by Hurricane Otis. The federal government will begin distributing aid, including household supplies and cash, to victims next week. Each household impacted by the hurricane will receive around $2,000, and some of them up to $3,500. The economy ministry will offer financial support, including exemptions from value-added sales tax and income tax from October. October to February. Electricity service will be provided free of charge for four months. Uh, the hurricane claimed 50 lives, left 30 missing, and caused uh, a severe material damage. Otis hit the Pacific Coast state on October 25th, destroying hotels and homes in the popular tourism destination of Acapulco and in other nearby places. From the first day I was here, I just loved China. Why China instead of other countries? That's the essence of China. Why the village instead of the city? When we talk about you know, rural revitalization. As China's rural revitalization continues, we talk to expats to find out their reasons for choosing to live in the country's villages for years or even decades. Everyone knew and everyone cared about it. See around them, people investing in that. They also share their experiences and views on the development and reconstruction of the countryside over the years. The village became much cleaner. So that was the best thing because all the families got back together. Learn more about what's going on in China's vast rural areas through my expat life in rural China. Here on Chat Lounge on CGTN Radio. Twenty-eight minutes past the hour. Uh, checking the forecast for the day in Beijing's at minus six overnight. That'll be followed by cl- uh, cloudy skies and a high of plus three on Saturday. Chongqing has a slight rain continuing through the day tomorrow. The lows thirteen, the highs eighteen. Uh, Less is down to minus four, then sunny and eleven degrees. Hong Kong's down to twenty-one, then sunny and twenty-four. Elsewhere, Tokyo's eight degrees overnight. It'll be mostly sunny and twenty-one on Saturday. Islamabad's at eleven this evening, then partly cloudy and 30. Bangkok's down to 25 degrees, then mostly cloudy with a high of 34. In Africa, Nairobi has thunderstorms in 23 degrees. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 20 this evening, cloudy skies in 23 on Saturday. Auckland's down to 12, then sunny in 19. Port Vila, mostly cloudy conditions in 28 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break so far this hour. The four-day truce agreed on by Israel and Hamas has begun in the Gaza Strip. China's released a development blueprint for the second decade of the Belt and Road Initiative. And voters in the Netherlands and across Europe are in shock after a far-right party's victory in Dutch elections. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on The Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. 
We have hope for humanity and the world. An additional German railway company Deutsche director of the International Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Friday. Still to come. In business, China's digital service trade reaches new heights. In sports, we have a preview of the Davis Cup semifinals. In culture and entertainment, weak box office numbers in North America amid the Thanksgiving holiday. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. But first of all, with today's headline news, here's Wang Zihang. Thank you, Shane. A temporary ceasefire is now in place between Israel and Hamas. The much-anticipated full-day truce came in, re- in force at 7 a.m. local time Friday, which will be followed by hostage swaps. The Egyptian-Qatari broker truce was originally announced for Thursday, but negotiators needed to work out final details of the deal. China and France are holding their sixth high-level meeting to discuss people-to-people exchanges. French Foreign Affairs Minister Catherine Cloner is currently in Beijing on a two-day visit. This is Cloner's first China tour since she took up the post in May last year. China says it looks forward to deepening ties with France in education, culture, technology, healthcare and sports, among other fields. The two countries will celebrate the 60th anniversary of diplomatic ties next year. 25 Chinese People's Volunteer Soldiers killed in the Korean War have been laid to rest at a martyr's cemetery in northeastern China. Their remains arrived in Shenyang from South Korea on Thursday. China and South Korea have an agreement to repatriate the remains of the fallen soldiers. The Chinese volunteers fought against the South Korean army and US-led forces between 1950 and 1953. China has decided to grant visa-free entry to travelers from six European and Asian countries. They are France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Spain and Malaysia. The Chinese foreign ministry says the trial period will go from December the 1st to the end of November next year. Protests have swept through the Irish capital Dublin after a knife attack injured one woman and three children. Irish police say the victim includes a five-year-old girl. Protesters fired flares and fireworks around the scene of the knife attack. A number of police vehicles in the tram were damaged as a result. Authorities say they are not treating the knife attack as terror-related. A man in his 50s currently in hospital has been declared a person of interest. Police are still investigating a fatal car crash on the bridge linking New York State and Canada's Ontario province. The incident in which a driver and passenger were killed sparked a security scare, prompting the closure of four border crossings on Wednesday. 
U.S. customers and、uh, customs and border officials posted security camera footage online showing the car traveling from the U.S. side at high speed before crashing and exploding. Authorities have denied it is terror-related. Over 400,000 Afghans are returning to their home country from Pakistan due to a crackdown on illegal migrants. Taliban spokesperson Zahibullah Mujahid confirmed the surge, with many crossings through Tulkam and Spinbolduck border crossings. Footage released by the United Nations World Food Programme shows families getting aid, with children eating only biscuits. Country director Xiao Weili of WFP Afghan said the situation is dire because of the impending harsh winter, earthquakes, and economic challenges. They return to Afghanistan at the worst of times. Pakistan's nationwide crackdown affecting an estimated 1.7 million Afghans. Poland has announced an 11-day extension of temporary border controls with Slovakia. The controls include checks of vehicles suspected of carrying illegal illegal immigrants. These measures aim to curb the influx of migrants. Entering Poland from Slovakia, originally introduced on October the fourth under the Schengen Border Code, the control measures have been extended several times in the past few weeks. Now, skimming vessels have been working to contain and recover oil after spill in the Gulf of Mexico off the Louisiana coast. The U.S. Coast Guard estimates the volume of the leak to be over a million gallons of oil. The leak was earlier discovered near a pipeline operated by Maine Pass Oil Gathering, who then shut the pipeline off. Authorities are still unsure whether the pipeline was the actual source of contamination. Official data shows China remains the country with the longest express mileage in the world. The country's expressway under construction. Has con- reached over 180,000 kilometers by the end of 2022. Officials say China will further optimize its highway network, striving to build a modern highway system to facilitate the mobility of people and goods. All right, thank you very much. That was Wang Zhihang, and this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's digital service trade reaches new heights. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Thirty-seven minutes past the hour now. Turning to business, and here is Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, Shane. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished lower on Friday. Timothy Pope has more. Chinese mainland markets traded broadly lower today. Sentiment remains a little bit fragile. The Shanghai Composite Index lost about seven tenths of one percent. However, mainland investors have been seeing some opportunities to invest in small cap stocks, but not、uh, on Shenzhen's Chinext board. Instead,、uh, this week they've been putting their money into the smaller Beijing Stock Exchange, which、uh, has had its best week since it was established two years ago. Today, the BSE 50 rose another six and a half percent, taking its weekly gain to twenty percent. As、uh, investors see the index as being、uh, the main beneficiary of some of the latest market support policies, and also、uh, looking a bit oversold. 
More broadly, though, the markets didn't fare so well and we saw foreign investors uh, net selling A shares again this week. Today, uh, the, uh, it was the biggest uh, daily outflow of foreign capital from Chinese equities in more than a month. Uh, net sales topped 7 billion yuan even before the lunch break. Hog breeder stocks, though, were among the few sectors that were rising today after the National Development and Reform Commission said that the uh, Chinese government would resume pork purchases for the national stockpile. So there were gains for, for the likes of uh, Wen's foodstuffs and uh, Huatong meat products, each of which uh, gained 2% in Shenzhen. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dropped around 2%. In Japan, the Nikkei was up 0.5%. China's digitally delivered service trade value hit a historic high of 372 billion US dollars last year. The Ministry of Commerce released the figure at the opening ceremony of the second Global Digital Trade Expo in Hangzhou, Zhejiang province. In 2022, the trade scale of cross-border e-commerce totaled about 296 billion US dollars, expanding 9.8%. By the end of last year, the number of Chinese digital service platform enterprises with an individual market value of over a billion US dollars had exceeded 200. Meanwhile, Chinese authorities say they will accelerate the construction of data infrastructure to bring more opportunities for society at a forum of the second Global Digital Trade Expo. Director Liu Lehong of the National Data Administration says data elements have become a production factor and are gradually being integrated into all aspects of production and life. At present, the National Data Administration is promoting a series of key tasks around the market-oriented reform of data element allocation. These include enriching and improving the basic data system, promoting data circulation, transaction, development and utilization, boosting the construction of data infrastructure, promoting core technology research in the data field, and strengthening data security governance. The four-day expo has, attract, has attracted 68 international organizations and business associations, as well as over 800 enterprises. China and Uruguay will strengthen investment cooperation in the digital economy and green development. Ministry of Commerce spokeswoman Xu Ting made the remarks while summarizing the economic and trade outcomes of Uruguayan President Luis Lacalle post visit to China this week. Next, the Ministry of Commerce is willing to collaborate with relevant departments in Uruguay to fully implement the important consensus reached by the leaders of both countries, promote the implementation of various outcomes in the economic and trade field, and inject new impetus into the development of the comprehensive strategic partnership between China and Uruguay. The spokeswoman says both countries agreed to establish a trade facilitation working group to further enhance bilateral trade. China's Trade Council says it will strengthen support for foreign companies. The council says it will carry out diversified economic and trade promotion activities to help these companies. The council also highlighted the upcoming First China International Supply Chain Expo, which will feature more than 20 different activities. The yearly growth of China's total foreign trade of goods in the first 10 months and in October alone both reversed declines. A U.S. expert says Chinese investment is bringing significant benefits to people across the United States. Stephen Orlings is the president of the U.S. National Committee on U.S.-China Relations. One of the largest Chinese investments was made three miles 
from my brother's house. So I went to the opening. It hmm. was it was Fuyaboli. And it was an amazing experience because the whole political establishment of Ohio was there. And I watched Dayton be reborn. It was reborn because of this investment. Fuyao Glass is the biggest vehicle glass manufacturer in China. The company took over a factory abandoned by General Motors in 2014 and provided jobs to more than 2,000 locals in Dayton City, Ohio. China released its market prices for key products in mid-November. The prices remained level compared to early November. According to the monitoring of the market prices of 50 kinds of products, the prices of 23 kinds of products increased, 25 kinds decreased, and three kinds kept at the same level. China's consumer price index dropped 0.1 in October from the previous month. The average CPI from January to October increased 0.4%. Turkey has made a substantial interest rate adjustment, surprising markets with an increase that exceeded economists' expectations. Mahal Badwit has more. On Thursday, Turkey's central bank raised interest rates by a significant 500 basis points, bringing the benchmark rate to 40 percent. This marks the sixth consecutive increase in borrowing costs over the past six months. Alongside this rate hike, the central bank hinted that the belt-tightening cycle might be nearing its end. After its Monetary Policy Committee meeting, the central bank stated, quote, The committee assessed that the current level of monetary tightness is significantly close to what's needed for the disinflation course. This move follows a series of rate increases totaling an impressive 3,150 basis points since June. Under the leadership of Hafize Gaya Erkan, a former Wall Street banker who took charge of Turkey's central bank after President Recep Tayyip Erdogan's re-election in May, there's been a notable policy reversal. She pledged to raise interest rates as necessary to combat inflation. Turkey's current interest rates are now the highest in President Recep Tayyip Erdogan's two decades in power. Leading up to the election, Erdogan had been advocating an unorthodox monetary policy of lowering interest rates to reduce inflation. Official data shows that Turkey's annual inflation rate spiked to 85% in October 2022, briefly slowing down before rising again to 61% last month. The Turkish lira has also depreciated by over 70% against the U.S. dollar over the past two years. Following his re-election, Erdogan's new economic team, including Finance Minister Mehmet Cimşek and Central Bank Governor Hafize Gaye Erkan, embarked on conventional measures to address the cost-of-living crisis. This week, President Erdogan expressed optimism for a virtuous cycle of disinflation, a stronger lira, and increased investor confidence through sound policies and structural reforms. That was Mahal Bhatvid reporting. U.S. retailers are preparing for the biggest sales period of the year over the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. But the season now stretches for weeks to incorporate a number of global events marked by seasonal sales. And it's becoming even more of a make-or-break period for retailers who are struggling. Owen Faircloth has more. She stormed the box office with the highest-grossing movie this year. Hi, Barbie. So retailers like London's Hamley's Toy Store are counting on Barbie to clean up during the holiday shopping season. <laughs> but if laying out the Christmas decor in September brings it all too close to summer for some, 
retailers have to be strategic about the discounts that lure shoppers looking for bargains. In recent years, the nature of Thanksgiving weekend has changed. In the past, it used to be the kickoff to the season, and now it is much more of the halfway point. And retailers have adapted to make sure that they are meeting consumers when and how they want to shop. U.S. retail sales between November and December are expected to be up to nearly $970 billion, an increase of up to 4% on 2022. That's modest, but online sales that rocketed during the pandemic are likely to grow up to 9%, at the expense of some downtowns suffering from a glut of empty retail and office space. Retailers across the board continue to reduce their physical footprints in favour of online. Swedish clothing retailer H&M closed its Washington DC downtown store in the summer, but it is at least maintaining a presence here, reopening right across the street there, but in a smaller space. And that unit used to house Gap until it pulled out in 2021. Indeed, the company once had three stores in the District of Columbia, but now has none, as it completes the closure of some 350 outlets across North America by the end of 2023. And where Gap is battling against sliding sales, H&M is at least in better shape. But however pressed retailers are feeling, at least inflation is now largely back under control after last year's historic spike. So consumers should, in theory, have more money to spend. That was Owen Fairclough reporting. All right, thank you very much. And that was Ju uh, Tian Liu with Business. Uh, you're listening to the Beijing Hour. And coming up in sports, a preview of the Davis Cup semifinals. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 48 past the hour now. Turning to sports, here is Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. And we start with tennis. Novak Djokovic has taken Serbia to the Davis Cup semifinals for the second time in three years. The top-ranked player beat Cameron Norrie 6-4, 6-4 to give Serbia a 2-0 victory over Great Britain and set up a last full encounter with Yannick Sinner's Italy. Djokovic says the team is now confident. We feel we have a good chance uh, and good shot at the title. Obviously, you know, semifinals, playing very strong nation. Um, and I think the fact that I had the unbeaten run since 2011, in a way, showcases my, um, my dedication and my really uh, approach to, to playing for my country. You know, I really take it seriously and try to always um, deliver my best game. And the more you win, you know, the more you want to keep the streak going. So yeah, hopefully I can keep it going in, on Saturday as well. It was a record 44th Davis Cup match win overall for Djokovic, making him the most successful Serbian player in the top team event in men's tennis. Italy earlier beat the Netherlands 2-1 in the other quarterfinal match on the day to reach the semi-finals for the second straight season. Sina kept Italy alive by winning his singles match and he then successfully teamed up with Lorenzo Sonego in the doubles. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it it means a lot to me, but I think more uh, more importantly, we are we are through in the semi-final, first time that I can experience this. Last year was not here, so it was my debut today. Was an incredible debut, and for sure, it it means a lot to to all of us. We were under a lot of pressure, and obviously, the decision also 
to put us on the on the court deciding doubles I think we have to give a lot of credit for the captain and, and then all the team pushing us uh, to the limits and obviously all the fans it's 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 amazing and now we are focused about after tomorrow Sina will next face Djokovic again after his recent ATP Finals loss to the world number one. Australia and Finland will play in the other semi-final match on Friday. Turning to badminton women's singles, world number one Anne Seyon has crashed out of the China Masters. World number cha- world champion An fell in straight sets loss to China's Wang Zhiyi, citing injury problems after the match. China's Chen Yufei advanced to the quarterfinals after defeating Guo Jingwei of Malaysia. In the latest action, Wang Zhiyi continued her good form to defeat Japan's Nozomi Okuhara and reach the women's singles semifinals in Shenzhen. There were indeed some difficulties for me in our first encounter because I didn't know her style. But she was in the same situation, so both of us made full preparations. I think I should have been more patient in the second game, and because I was lacking energy, I made some mistakes. The third game was similar as I was in a hurry, so I regrouped and then cheered myself up every time I got a point. In the men's singles, second seed Anthony Siniskachin team suffered early elimination in the second round after a bitter loss to unseeded Lin Chen-Yi of Chinese Taipei. Home favorite Shi Yuqi was also knocked out after a shocking street sets loss to Francis Christo Popov. In football, China will face a tough group at the 2024 AFC U23 Asian Cup after the organizers unveiled the official draw in Doha. The Chinese team is grouped with top seed Japan as well as South Korea and the United Arab Emirates with Olympic berths up for grabs. The continental showpiece will kick off on April 15th. The top three finishers will qualify for the Paris 2024 Olympic Games, while the fourth-place teams will participate in a playoff against opponents from Africa. Argentine forward Angel Di Maria says he will retire from international football following next year's Copa America after representing his country for 15 years. Di Maria has made 136 appearances for Argentina since his debut in 2008, playing in four World Cups. He will take part in his sixth Copa America next summer in the United States, where Argentina will bid to successfully defend their continental title. Di Maria rejoined Portuguese champion Benfica this season. The club he played for when he first arrived in Europe in 2007. And finally, prosecutors are seeking a nine-year prison sentence for Brazilian football player Danny Alves for allegedly allegedly sexually assaulting a woman last year. Alves is set to face trial over allegations that he assaulted a woman in a nightclub in Barcelona. He was indicted by an investigative judge in August, and the court said this month there was enough evidence to open a trial. A date for the hearing was not yet set. The former Barcelona defender was denied any wrongdoing. Prosecutors also want Elvis to pay 150,000 euros in damages to the victim and to be prohibited from having any contact with her for additional 10 years. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, a weak box office numbers in North America amid the Thanksgiving holiday. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men, Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 
53 minutes past the hour. Turning to culture and entertainment, Hollywood's not feeling so festive this Thanksgiving. The holiday period's traditionally a busy time for moviegoing, but audiences aren't turning out in force over the holiday. Disney's Wish earned a lackluster 8.3 million U.S. dollars on Wednesday. Magical Kingdom, founded by a king... Animated film tells the origin story of the wishing star that's featured prominently in other Disney adventures. It's projected to earn more than $37 million over the five-day period, a disappointing number given the cost of a hefty $200 million. Apple original production Napoleon, directed by Ridley Scott, grossed $7.7 million on Thanksgiving Eve for a second-place finish. Third place, The Hunger Games' The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes earned $7.3 million, bringing its domestic total to roughly $63.6 million. The 2016 romantic musical comedy, uh, rather romantic musical film La La Land will return to Chinese uh, theaters on the mainland next month. Strange that we keep running into each other. Maybe it means something. Movie starring Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone will return to the screen on December 22nd. It tells the story of a struggling jazz pianist and an aspiring actress who meet and fall in love while pursuing their dreams in Los Angeles. La La Land raked in nearly 250 million yuan, or 34 million US dollars, on the Chinese mainland when it first hit the cinemas in 2017. The ancient Chinese art of puppetry is finding new popularity in Indonesia. A group of performers are blending traditional tales from the past with modern narratives. As uh, Silkina Alawalia reports, it's more than just preserving a tradition. It's a way to build and rally communities. In Jakarta's fast-moving world, 22-year-old Ilham is a part of something special. He found his calling in the delicate threads and painted faces of puppets, known as wayang in Indonesia. But these aren't ordinary puppets. This is potehi, an art form blending Chinese and Indonesian traditions. My journey of finding potehi itself is very unique and somewhat questionable. My family still wonders why I'm interested in wayang, in puppetry. I'm originally from Sumatra, and where I come from, this is considered taboo. But I feel the puppets themselves called out to me. This is my calling, I know it. Ilham has chosen the path less traveled, but it's a fulfilling one. He is so immersed in the stories and lives of these puppets that he decided to study the original language that breathed life into them. I'm so drawn to the Chinese culture, and I'm majoring in Chinese studies and learning Mandarin because the culture has been preserved for centuries and is still so beautiful. I can go to my library in my university and read poems that were written hundreds of years ago, and I can still connect with the culture during those ancient times. I think Indonesia can learn a lot from that. The origin of Potehi are as old as the Jin dynasty, a time when, legend says, prisoners turned pots and plates into instruments, finding their freedom through puppetry. Dwi Retno Astuti is the founder of Rumah Chinwa. Their mission is simple, to spark a love for Potehi in the hearts of Indonesian youngsters. We cannot ignore history, but we must also keep innovating. Here, we're developing what is called urban potehi. These are the stories of ordinary people, people like me, like you, like us, people on the streets of Indonesia. 
These shows are usually performed in Hokkien, and the evolution of Potehi to Bahasa Indonesia signifies a profound blending of cultures, a testament to Indonesia's multicultural harmony. With Ilham's dedication and Dwi's guidance, these puppets will keep thriving in Jakarta and beyond. And uh, that was Silkina Alawalia on the popularity of puppetry in Indonesia. We're at 58 minutes past the hour now. Check in the forecast before we go for the weekend. And Beijing's down to minus 6 overnight. That'll be followed by cloudy skies and a high of plus 3 on Saturday. Uh, Chongqing has a light rain continuing through the day tomorrow with a high or a low of 13. The high is 18. Last is minus 4 overnight. Uh, then we get sunny skies and 11. Hong Kong's down to 21. Then sunny with a high of 24. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 8 degrees overnight. It'll be mostly sunny and 21 on Saturday. Islamabad's at 11. 11 this evening, then partly cloudy and 30. Bangkok's down to 25 degrees, then mostly sunny with a high of 34. In Africa, Nairobi's getting thunderstorms in 23. Finally to Oceania, cities at 20 this evening, cloudy skies and 23 on Saturday. Auckland's down to 12, then sunny and 19. Port Vila, mostly cloudy conditions and 28 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the four-day truce agreed on by Israel and Hamas has begun in the Gaza Strip and China's released a development blueprint for the next decade of the Belt and Road Initiative. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, People in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 